Hey everybody, Helipod back in the house once again, and I'm going to give you 100 million reasons to listen, thanks to our friends at DraftKings, because they're giving away $100 million in prizes to all of their customers, including one lucky winner who can take home $1 million. It really is easy. Everybody who signs and enters DraftKings free football survivor pool will receive an instant bonus prize of at least $5 in value upon entering, or possibly more. Listen, Daily Fantasy, DraftKings, they've been synonymous for a long time. DraftKings is the best in the business. Download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code HELIPOD to claim your share of $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running for the $1 million cash top prize. That's promo code HELIPOD to get your share of $100 million bucks in prizes only at DraftKings. And of course... They've been with us since the beginning, Viore. Love these clothes. You can wear them everywhere. There's no better time to order than right now. The school year's getting ready to start. I don't care if you're doing online school, if you're going to school, if you're monitoring your kid's school, Viore. They have great shorts. I like the bank shorts and the core short has that built-in liner. Also have board shorts, swimming trunks if you're going to the beach. Great hoodies. Excellent joggers. They have golf shirts now as well. Long sleeve shirts to go along with it. All of my friends that have tried Viore have absolutely loved it. And I am going to give you 20% off on your first order. Go to vioreclothing.com slash helipod. That is V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash helipod to get 20% off today. All right, as for this episode... It is my pleasure to tell you that we uh, got a visit with LaDainian Tomlinson, uh, one of the great people in the world of football. I've worked with him for a long, long time. Um, he is, of course, a Hall of Fame running back with the San Diego Chargers, finished his career with the New York Jets. Um, so many great stories from his uh, days at TCU, why he ended up at TCU out of high school. That was an interesting story that I didn't know. Um, and he also talks about all of his coaches, one in particular that he learned more football from than anybody else, and he really says should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, LT, story time with one of the all-time great running backs on the helipad presented by Viore right now. Man, what a treat it is. The uh, second Hall of Famer we had on the uh, helipod. First it was Warren Sapp, now it's Lanny and Tomlinson, the seventh leading rusher in NFL history, good buddy of mine from NFL Network, and of course, uh, a Hall of Famer as well. LT, thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, thank you for having me on, Dan. It's always great to kind of just talk chop with you, man, and hang out a little bit. Even though it's virtual, I'll, I'll I, take it. I know, me too, me too, but you're not coming into LA anytime soon, which is kind of funny because I talked to David Carr last week, drove up to his house in, in Bakersfield, and you could tell he wasn't so sad about not ha having to make that commute into Culver City every week to do the show. This, this is kind of nice for you guys to a certain extent, right? Yeah, yeah it is. I mean, you, you definitely get to, um, to be at home a little bit more, interact with the family, you know, less traveling. In fact, I haven't traveled at all. And it's funny that you mentioned David Carr because every Monday, you know, when we're working together for the pregame, the NFL Total Access pregame show, I know he make that long drive. And after the show, I always ask him, man, how long is it going to take you to get back home? And he says, man, it just depends on traffic. I, I you know, I dread getting on the road, going back. But I, I just couldn't believe that he made the drive every single time he had to come to work. That's, that's pretty amazing. But it is, you know, these times are strange, Dan, right? You know, these, you know, we're living in unprecedented times. And so, you know, I figured I just want to take advantage of the situation of being at home a little bit more, having some quality time with my kids as they get older. My son just turned 10. My daughter is turning nine next month. And so um, you don't get these years back. No, 100%, man. I've been trying to do the same thing. What, uh, what's school going to be like for you guys in Texas, sir? How are they doing that this year? Well, we're going to start off virtual. You know, it'll be on uh, online classes, um, virtual with the teacher for about three hours out of the day. And then the kids will 
finish off the rest of the two or three hours uh, by themselves. And, you know, like anything else, my wife, Torsha, she'll be the, the teacher here. Um, I'm sure I'll be the PE teacher. You know, of course, <laughs> that's what I'm good at. Um, and I'll be the, you know, the dad that gets them up in the morning and cook breakfast and, and make sure they're in front of the computer ready to go, man. Got to be on it, man. My daughter just turned 14. She's going to be a freshman this year. So wow. the, uh, the online school out here in California, LT, obviously started uh, during the pandemic, you know, last school year. And uh, they've been, they've had this whole summer. I said, we're, we're about to buckle up now. This is freshman year. This stuff counts. No more messing around. No more, you know, laying in your bed on a laptop, <laughs> doing right. homework when, you know, when you want to. We're getting up. We're sitting at a desk. And she just got, whatever, dad. I'm like, all right, you got a week. Enjoy this last week of summer. Yeah, I'm telling you, it gets serious, you know, oh, yeah. that's the, you know, that's the toughest thing, I think, uh, for, for our kids, like during the summer, they don't have to get up in the morning, they can kind of make their own schedule, they roll out of the bed when they want to, and then it's like a shock to the system, right, oh. whenever, whenever that first day of school, oh man. Yeah, no, I know, it's going to be, it's certainly going to be an interesting year, and you know, it's going to be, I think, a fun and interesting year in the NFL, too. Um, as of uh, time of recording, one of the bigger stories uh, in, in the league, obviously Cam Newton with the Patriots and uh, Belichick coming out and saying the other day that nothing was off the table, including a quarterback uh, rotation. Um, I can't imagine this, this isn't Florida, right? With like Doug Johnson and, and Danny Werfel back in the day, you, you got to have one guy in there and play him the whole time, right? I would think so. Um, you know, but although – when you think about the Patriots um, and Bill Belichick in general, he's always, at least I, I've thought, he's always proud of himself on being ahead of the curve. You know, what's the next trend uh, or thing that's going in, in pro football? Like, what can I get ahead of people on? So maybe this is a situation where they're going to create packages. You know, you're going to have a package for Cam and you're going to have a package for Jared Stidham. And right. here's the thing, you know, we know that they like Jared Stidham a, a lot. And I know Jared Stidham from his time, you know, he, he went to Baylor and obviously grew up in, in Texas and uh, is a Texas kid. But um, I think he has a lot of potential. I, I really do. I've seen him grow and, and I like what I see from the kid. Dan, I don't know if he's ready right now. This, this year, I think it's still Cam Newton's job if he's healthy. Um, but eventually, I, I think Jared Stidham could be the quarterback in New England. Yeah, I, that's going to be a fun story to follow all year, as is uh, Brady with the Bucks. And um, I, I, I won't make you comment on, on Brady because I'm sure you've been asked about that a hundred times on all the different shows that you've been doing for NFL Network. But I do want to ask you about Des Bryant. Um, so reportedly working out for the Ravens. Uh, he's been off for two years. He's coming off an Achilles. Didn't get a lot of separation the last year that he played. But could Des be that big kind of Anquan Bolden type possession receiver that uh, kind of a, a hybrid tight end wide receiver type guy that, that the Ravens could use? I think possibly. And that's what you're looking at when you think about Des Bryant. And look, Des Bryant, you know, I, he's, he's a neighbor of mine. So um, I, I know that he's been working really hard trying to get back into the game. Of course, you probably see the videos with him out there on the field with different quarterbacks, various quarterbacks throwing the football. And Dez has worked, like I said, he, he's worked very hard to get back to this point. So what is he now? He probably doesn't have the same type of top-end speed like he used to. So we're probably not looking at a player that's going to play on the outside, as you mentioned. So absolutely, why not play him in the slot? Why not create mismatches on Dez, Brian, and linebackers? And think about this. If he signs with Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, he loves the middle part of the field. That's where he loves to attack with the tight ends and slot receivers. So if, if Dez looks good and Baltimore thinks he's ready to go, I can see him, you know, having a part in the offense, not being a, a huge major part because I still think Marquise Brown has to develop into their main uh, playmaker on the outside. Right, um, but I think he can have a role in that offense for sure. Did you see that Hollywood Brown added twenty three pounds in the off season? <laughs> I did. I mean, he's not a big dude. That's crazy. Yeah, 
And, you know, I wonder how it's going to translate on the field in terms of the speed, as, as reported, as you mentioned. They say he still has the same speed. They say he didn't lose anything. But 23 pounds, I don't know. you got to lose a little bit, right? Well, hey, hey, you're 41, I'm 45. 23 pounds a little different on us these days than, <laughs> than Hollywood. But you, you're right. That is, that is a lot more weight. All right, a couple of running back questions before we get into uh, to you. Um, I'm going to give you three choices, okay? And I want to know who you think is going to have a better season. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's getting a ton of pub. Love the kid at LSU, obviously. Uh, Miles Sanders, who has a, a lower body injury, but it's not supposed to be a big deal. He, he's uh, going to be ready for the regular season. Or Kenyon Drake. Oh, well... I think initially when I think about those three guys, I think Miles Sanders just off off top because, you know, I'm I'm a touch a, a potential of how many touches you're gonna get per game type of guy. And I, I get it with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and, you know, with um Damian Williams obviously opting out. Um and he's gonna be the guy. But here's the thing, that offense is stacked. You know that. They're going to spread that ball around. I don't know if he's going to get, you know, 250, 300 touches. I, I think that's crazy to give that type of running, uh, a rookie running back in that offense, those type of touches. And Kenyon Drake, small sample size last year. I mean, it was great, but small sample size. Can he handle a larger role? I'm not so sure. We'll see. Now, Miles Sanders, I, I think it's his show, baby. You think about what Philly has. They really have nobody else in that backfield. You know, you can talk about the games that Scott had last year, and he was very serviceable. But I think he's a backup to Miles Sanders. And then when you think about it even more, Dan, think about what they have on, out, on the outside. They have a, a bunch of guys that have been injured, so you don't know what you're going to particularly get from Alshon Jeffrey to Sean right. Jackson. You drafted a young rookie wide receiver, out of TCU, go Frogs, uh, Jalen <laughs> Rager. But I, I think this offense has to go through Miles Sanders. I can, I can really see him getting clearly and easily 20 to 30 touches per game. You talk about Rager, that's an interesting pick that a lot of people kind of like, hmm, raised eyebrow when that happened. I, I know you're a huge college football fan. What does he bring to the table? And do you think he can be a productive rookie that's going to have 60 catches? Well, I tell you what, his speed is going to be a game changer. And that was evident the first day he walked onto campus at TCU. His speed translated from high school to college right away his, his very first year. And it will do so in the National Football League. So I believe he's going to be used like a, a young Deshaun Jackson or, you know, Jeremy Macklin, you know, where they really move him around. Obviously, giving some give giving some easy touches, maybe jet sweeps, little screen plays to get the ball in his hands, and and watch him work. So, um, sixty catches, I I don't know. It just depends on the health of Alshon Jeffrey. I still think Alshon is the number one receiver there. So if he can stay healthy, he's going to get the lion's share of, of those of, of those balls, and then factor in Deshaun Jackson. So um, I think he still will have a solid season. Uh, for the Eagles. All right, a couple of old guys in the running back ranks. Who's going to have a better year? Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, now with the Falcons, of course, or David Johnson with the Texans? Oh, ooh, that's a tough one. Those are tough. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned with Todd Gurley, obviously, um, because I was one of those guys, Dan, quite honestly, last year that said, hey, he's going to bounce back, you know, you know he's going to be healthy and, and we're going to see the old Todd Gurley where clearly we did not see that. And I think, you know, the knee is starting to become a problem on top of the fact that he's playing on turf now, you know, so keep that in mind. So I don't know what I'm going to see from Todd. I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up. David Johnson, I think he, he's going to give you more uh, from the passing game out of the backfield receiving the football than he will rushing the football. Um, and so I, I think um, with that said, the, the first guy who, who – Le'Veon. Who did you say? Le'Veon. 
with Le'Veon, I think by default, honestly, I think Le'Veon has to be the guy because he's going to get the touches. You know, when you think about it, there's nobody else in that backfield but Le'Veon. And I believe, you know, after obviously all that he went through last year, struggling, trying to get back into the form of being back in football, um, I think he, he came in this year with a chip on his shoulder. And so I think he really wants to prove some. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be the old Le'Veon Bell, like in Pittsburgh. Right. Because I just – I don't think he has that type of talent around him. He don't have the receivers. They don't have the offensive line. You know, it just – it's going to be tougher on him. But I do think he will have a better season and better than, you know, Ty Gurley and David Johnson. Yeah, he should have a chip on his shoulder because I don't feel like they're sold on him at all. Obviously, they had all those issues when – Gase first got there, and, and I think they tried to unload him in the offseason. I actually heard that uh, they were trying to send him to Houston, and, and, and Houston didn't want any part of him, so they ended up making that D-hop trade, getting David Johnson in return, which is an interesting scenario. Um, wow. There's so many storylines. We, we could talk shop forever, but uh, this is, this is going to be about LT. I want to get the LT story uh, out there to maybe the two people who don't know it because everybody knows your story. But I'm trying to think back to when you were coming out of high school. It was uh, – it was University High School in Waco, right? Correct. You're obviously a very good high school player. Do you, did, do you remember what star ranking you were? Did you have star rankings when you came out? Yeah, we had star rankings, but I'm assuming I was a, maybe a two-star or, or a low, a low three-star maybe. And the reason why is, um, you know, I really didn't get the chance to play running back until my senior year. And so it was one of those situations where – so my freshman year – um, I went to Marlin High School, um, and that was back where my family is from. My mother and my father originated from this small town in Texas, Marlin. And so I went there my freshman year. And then, I, I mean, I, I, played, I played varsity in, in football. You know, but it was a little 3A high school, and I played, you know, varsity and everything, baseball, track, basketball, and football. So I'm thinking, man, you know, I'm – you know, I'm, this is going to be I'm, easy. Yeah, this is going to be easy. I'm pretty good. I'm playing varsity football. You know, I'm a running back and everything. So after that season, we move to back to Waco. And I, I go to, to University High School for the first year, my sophomore year. I walk in and I talk to the head coach, Leroy Coleman. And I sit down with him. We're having a conversation. He said, what, what, um, what position are you playing? And I said, Coach, I'm playing running back, and I, I play safety as well. He said, nah. He said, well, you're not going to play running back here. Not right now. He said, we got, we got some pretty good guys, so I need you to play fullback. Oh. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it was a shock to the system, right? But what, what I knew was because obviously I had grown up there in Waco, I knew the guys that he was talking about. And these, these guys were – Two guys, both older than me, a year older than me. One of them I pretty much grew up was one of my best friends. And this was a guy like Darren Sproles. Like, he was quick as all get out. You know, so I understood. Yeah, I'll block for him. You know, it's my buddy. But, man, I got to wait two more years to my senior year, you know, to get on – to get a chance to play running back. He was like, yep, that's what you're going to have to do. And so I did, Dan. I played fullback and outside linebacker my sophomore and junior year. The summer of my, my senior year, he calls me in the office. And he says, son, he says, you have done everything that we asked you to do so far. You've been a great teammate, sacrifice. He says, it's your time now. You're going to play running back this year. And so um, it started with the first game. First game, six touchdowns. That following week, TCU comes and offer me, uh, offer me a full scholarship. After and one game? After, after my first senior game in wow. high school yeah and so that's when everything started rolling Baylor Baylor came in and offered me you know UTEP and some other schools offered me and um that's how my recruiting you know kind of went from there but at the same time there was no major schools like Texas you know Texas didn't recruit me um, Texas A&M did recruit me but they never offered me a scholarship and so at the end of the day I felt a sense of loyalty to TCU because I felt like, man, they were the first to believe in me. They was the first to offer me. So that's why I ended up going to TCU. When you were a kid, was there one school in Texas that you dreamed of playing for? Was it Texas? 
No, no, not really. Um, in fact, when I was a kid, I was a, uh, a Miami Hurricanes fan. You know, I, I liked the Hurricanes. Um, I also liked, I, I liked LSU as well. And, and because I followed running backs. And I even remember uh, Garrison Hurst at Georgia. Oh, you know, yeah. I followed Garrison Hurst. And that was the reason, quite honestly, why I wore number five in high school in TCU was because of Garrison Hurst at Georgia. And so I was just a big fan of, you know, I guess mostly SEC schools at that time. Um, but it's funny how things work out, Dan. None of them recruited me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it, it, worked out, it worked out pretty well, man. It's, it's funny, your junior year, I was looking up some of the numbers. You had that 406-yard game against UTEP, which was a single-game record at the time. And then your senior year was just – off the chain, yeah, over 2,100 yards and 22 touchdowns. And you finished fourth in the Heisman that year. Wanky won it. Josh Heupel finished second. And your future teammate, Drew Brees, finished third. Was that a type of thing where you look back and you're like, listen, man, I, I was at TCU, had a great career. I, to even finish in the top five was amazing. Or were you like, man, I should have won that thing? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I never really think about um, that I should have won it. Honestly, I, I – you know, at that time, to get TCU on a national stage uh, was huge. I mean, we had the whole Heisman campaign going around town. You know, and it was a big deal around here. It was, it was a big deal. And so it was kind of, I guess, at that point when people really start to wonder, hey, where is TCU, by the way? You know, like, <laughs> we keep hearing about this school. Where is it? And so I knew, Dan, and I think most, most of us around here knew that I – I probably wouldn't win it, you know, um, that it was going to probably go to a quarterback. But the fact that, you know, I was there, I got to participate um, in, in, in the Heisman, you know, finalists, going to New York and bringing my family there. It was such an awesome experience, really, and one that I, I won't ever forget. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you, you, you know, you think about like, man, who really had the better career? I mean, if, we weren't talking about like schools or whatever who right. really had the better even college career now now drew now i mean he drew has an argument because drew had a even in college he had an incredible career and obviously had a great senior season as well so you wrap up your career you're a Heisman finalist. You know you're going to be a high draft pick at, at what point did you realize you were going to be, you know, a top five pick. Yeah, it didn't happen until later in the, the draft process. I mean, as we got closer to the draft, I started to hear my name kind of creep up the draft boards. But I remember it like it was, you know, the whole process, how it went. So right after my senior season, then they were still projecting me to go late first round, early second, okay? So it was Deuce McAllister as the clear cut a favorite running back coming out that year. Lamont Jordan was also, he was second. And, and it was like me and Travis Henry, we were battling out. You're, you're a boy from Tennessee, right? Yeah. Um, so we were battling out for that third running back spot. And so I knew right away that I had to kind of impress through the draft process. So I went to train right away. I didn't, I, obviously I left school for the second semester. I went down to Bradenton, Florida to IMG, and I trained there for about two or three months up into the combine. So I go through the combine, and right at the combine, I knew what I needed to do. People wanted to know, could I run? You know, they say, this guy, you know, he came out of option system and didn't catch the ball a lot. We really don't know how fast he is because he played inferior uh, competition. So we want to know, one is, how fast is he? And two, can he catch the football? And so I went into the combine, blew my 40 out. Once I ran my 40, that's when I started to hear guys like Mel Kuyper say, hey, Tomlinson is creeping up in the middle of the first round now. And so I, I had the momentum at that point. I knew that I was kind of showing the scouts that I had the total package, if you will. So right around, um, you know how you go through the, um, the pro day. Mm -hmm. So right around, I think we had our pro day sometime in, in March. And so at that time in March, it became really 
me and Deuce McAllister. Okay, we, we don't know who's going to be the number one running back. At my pro day, I had to prove how well I can catch the football. And no kidding, they threw me 100 balls, Dan, at my, at my pro day. I caught 99 of them. And the one, I, the one I didn't catch was, was uh, you know, a bad pass. No kidding. A hundred balls to a running? That's me. unheard of. Well, no, it, it was like quick stuff. It was like okay. get down on the ground right. quick, you know. So overall, catching a hundred passes, I mean, it was just like, it was little drills that they had me doing. Right. You know, the one that you sit down on the ground and, and they throw the ball at all different types of angles yep. and see how, how good your hands are. So we did different things like that to test how well I can catch the football. After that, there was no more question marks. And then as April came around, I started to hear, all right, LT's going to, he's, he's overtaking Deuce McAllister. He will be the first running back taken somewhere in the top 10. Now, my agent, Tom Condon, at the time, he said, listen, it's going to be out of, you know, I think all the teams right around five to eight. That's what we were thinking. So it was New England was there. Uh, the Falcons was there. If you remember, the Falcons had the fifth pick. Mm -hmm. The Chargers had the first pick at the time, and they were locked in on Michael Vick. Everybody thought Michael Vick is going number one to the Chargers. So I took all my visits, Atlanta, Kansas City, New England, Chicago had like the eighth pick. Those were my visits I took because that, that was the range that we felt like I was going to go in. And sure enough, even when the trade happened with Atlanta and the Chargers, San Diego at that time, I still was the fifth pick to the Chargers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that, uh, the trade. And, of course, Atlanta takes, takes Vic that year. You, you get into the Chargers uh, in 2001. Um, they drafted Drew Brees that same year in the yeah. second round. I believe he was the first pick of the second round. Yes, he was. And, and Mike Riley is the head coach. Um, you guys don't have a great year record-wise. You finished 5-11. Hey, and 11. But, but Norm Turner, remember, is offensive coordinator. Oh, that's right. I, did, I had forgotten about that. Yes. I had forgotten about that. And that will come, uh, that will come to be very important to you later <laughs> on down the road. Um, but that adjustment for you coming from TCU, you prove everything you have to throughout the pre-draft process. You put up all the numbers you can possibly put up in college. Did you get there feeling like you had arrived or did you get there still feeling like you had something to prove? Yeah, no, I, I felt like I had something to prove. I mean, because still in my mind, people felt like, you know, this kid coming from a small school, like he's NFL is going to eat his lunch. You know, he's going to see what real competition is like on, on this level. And so I, I came in feeling like I had something to prove. Also, I felt that way because I wanted to live up to that billing of being a top five pick, of being, you know, the, the number one pick for the San Diego Chargers and going into a locker room that had Junior Seah, the late Junior Seah, you know, who was all world, right? And so subconsciously, you know, you think, man, you know, what, is, what are these guys going to think about me and being a, a, a number one draft pick, man, they're, they're, you know, I'm going to have a lot to prove with these guys. So that was on my mind. Um, so I went in focused, ready to go. On top of that, you know, Norv told me right away, Dan, he said, you better get your butt ready. He said, because I'm going to give you 300 carries this year. My rookie year, he told me that. Wow. Did you, uh, did you get hazed at all throughout the mini camp or training camp process? Of course I did. Absolutely. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest hazing I got was um, the rookie dinner. Um, that was – the rookie dinner was a tradition that the Chargers did every year. So the number one draft pick had to take all the veterans to a nice steakhouse. And they got to order up whatever they wanted, drinks, food. And they didn't just – this wasn't just one entree now. If they wanted to get two or three entrees and just leave it on the table, you know, that's what they did. Because it was – that was a way of them, you know, hazing you. But at the same time, it was like, okay, we're welcoming you into this fraternity, into this team. And at the same time, 
the reason why we do it is as a first round pick, we're going to be the guys you lean on. You got all that money. If you can't spend a, a little money on, on your vets, a nice dinner on your vets, then, you know, like that's, that's like the least you can do as we welcome you in. So at the end of the day, um, they spent about $18,000 of my money that night. Huh. <laughs> so eighteen thousand bucks in two thousand one is is probably like like fifty thousand dollars right now. Pretty much, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. When you say all the vets, you mean all the vets on the entire team, or just all the vets on offense? No, all the vets on the entire team, three years or older. Oh my god! Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. That is crazy, man. Well, you. You obviously did. You obviously did just fine post dinner. You know, you had twelve hundred plus yards and you know fifty nine catches. And Doug Flutie was the quarterback that year. That was your only year with with Doug as the starting quarterback. Um, what what was Doug like? Oh man, Doug was the best guy ever. You know, he really made practice and meetings and the locker room fun. And you know, he was always willing to give you advice. Um, you know, I remember one time we got into a conversation about playing the drums. Doug was a, blit, a big drum player. Yeah. You know, he loved playing the drums, right? And so, you know, I, I casually said, you know, man, I, I would love to, you know, kind of get to know how to play the drums, learn how to play it. So then, no kidding, like a week later, I come into the locker room, and in front of my locker is a whole drum set that Doug Flutie got me. No a whole drum. I, I, I'm like, what the? He said, well, you said you want to learn how to play the drums. I got your drum set. That's the type of guy he was, man. That's, that was Doug Flutie. And he was just uh, a joy to play with, man. Did you ever learn how to play the drums, LT? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to play them, but not good. Hey, well, at least, at least you gave it the old college try. Quick break now. Tell you a little bit about some of our sponsors. Vaco. The motto there, we invest in your career so you are here for the duration of ours. Vaco is a premier talent and solutions firm that finds boutique level service with global reach in the areas of consulting, consultative project resources, executive search, permanent placement, and strategic staffing. You need somebody to fill that C-suite position? Vaco has you covered. Their areas of expertise are aplenty, accounting, finance, technology, healthcare IT, operations administration, or international managed services. It was founded back in 2002 by a good buddy of mine, Brian Waller, and one of his friends, and it has grown since then to serve 40 markets, 1,000 employees, 5,000 consultants, and 750 million in revenue. Been very fun to watch my good buddy Waller grow his company and grow it he has. Check him out at Vaco.com. That's V-A-C-O.com for more information on how Vaco connects people to their dream jobs and helps leading companies around the world find talent to grow their business. Vaco.com, V-A-C-O.com. They can help you. So I started taking this product, True Niagen, about a month ago. Really wanted to invest in my long-term health, and I think you should too. It's a new trend in the scientific community that surrounds the health of our cells. And this affects everybody from pro athletes to weekend warriors like most of us. We have something in our cells called NAD, which supports our energy and our body's ability to repair itself all the way down to the cellular level. Well, it turns out that NAD declines as we age. It also declines when we overexercise, we don't sleep enough, and even when we're exposed to a virus. There's only one NAD booster that is backed by Nobel Prize winning scientists, 10 published human studies, and regulatory approval for safety. And that is True Niagen. Additionally, True Niagen is NSF certified for sport. Visit TrueNiagen.com, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com to learn more. And I think it will help you all the way down to the cellular level. It's made me feel pretty good over the last month. Check out True Niagen. 
And finally, I want to tell you about Greens Plus, a company based here in Manhattan Beach, a health food leader since 1989, really known for creating the first ever blended green superfood powder that you can just dump into a smoothie, has all kinds of nutrients that are just fantastic for your body, and it tastes great. Also, Greens Plus bars, incredibly tasty as well. Helps boost your energy, get you that nutritional insurance that your body deserves, and it's all organic gluten-free, soy-free, premium green superfoods. You can get them at Whole Foods, Amazon, or if you want to save a little money, go to greensplus.com and you get 20% off with the promo code HELI. That's 20% off with the promo code HELI, H-E-L-L-I-E, at greensplus.com. I love the chocolate protein bars and the wild berry superfood powder. Uh, so, so year one is in the books. Um, as I said earlier, five and 11, they make that coaching change and in comes Marty, the drill Sergeant Marty Schottenheimer. What was, what was the biggest difference for you with Marty as the head coach? Um, you know, it was really all about attention to detail, like every facet of the game. Um, Marty wanted you to be prepared for it. Like I remember like my first year, Dan, uh, you know, if the offense wasn't meeting, like you didn't have to go to special team meetings or anything like that. You know, there were no big, huge, um, like team meetings that, you know, like Marty would always bring the team together, the entire team at the beginning of the week. And he would go over the entire game plan uh, of how to beat our opponent for each aspect of the game, like offense, defense, special teams, you know, referees, like these, what these guys do with, like he had it all covered, you know, and I, I felt like my first year, like there was none of that. So it was a shock to the system. Like, wait, like I got to go to special team means too. Why? Like, I'm not even, I'm not even on special teams. Yeah. But Marty wants everyone in there. Okay. You know, but it was just like attention to detail. He wanted you to know what the other guy, was supposed to do even though you didn't you didn't play on special teams he wanted you to know what guys were supposed to do but what it did was it held us all accountable right and it made us I guess dig a little deeper with understanding the little nuances of football and, and even what other guys were doing so I learned the most football that I ever learned under Marty Schottenheimer that's when I really felt like my game went to the next level because I was able to understand what my linemen were doing, what the quarterback was supposed to do, receivers, everybody. And um, I'll tell you what, man, he was, he was my favorite coach of all time. And, and I, I think even still to this, this day, um, I consider him a, a great friend and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. That's a strong statement from Marty Schottenheimer. You, that was the beginning that second year of a remarkable six-year run for you where you averaged almost 1,600 yards a year and you had that great MVP season in 06. And 06 was the same year you guys went 14-2 and two, or was that the next season? Yes. It was 06. Yep. That was when I, – I, I hate to ask guys when they look back, you know, but did that, that year you guys had such a special season and a special team and, and, you know, did you look back and say, man, I wish we could have got one not just for me but for Marty? Absolutely. You know, that was our, our best chance, especially with Marty, to win it. Um, because we were clearly, like, we're, most of the time that we took the field, we were stacked, man. Offensive, um, you know, offensive skill position. We had great linemen at that time. And even on defense, we, we had pass rushers. We, had, we were stacked. We knew that we had a really good team. And so it showed. And I, I think – you know, the shock of it all is, is when you think back, for me, when I think about the playoffs, going back to the playoffs, you have the first round by, and, and the first game is against the Patriots, right? And really, you dominate that game. When you go back and look at the box scores and just the game in general, we dominate the game except for the last, you know, maybe five or six minutes. And, it, it, and it, it, it's really turnovers and bad plays and things that – was uncharacteristic of Marty teams, right? And so it's just like, 
for his last year when he had the be the best chance to win, how could we lose a game in the way that he spent so much time, details, going over details, to lose like that was it was it was disheartening and it was heartbreaking at the same time. And uh, as you know, that was the end of, uh, of, of his coaching career. Yeah, the end of the Marty Schottenheimer era there uh, in San Diego and in comes Norv Turner. And, you know, I, growing up in, in D.C., uh, you know, they were the Redskins then. I grew up a big Redskins fan, very familiar with Norv Turner. I always found it fascinating, though, because he never, to me, seemed to have the personality of a head coach, whereas Marty did or – uh, Bill Belichick, duh, just a commanding presence in the room. What was Norv like as a head coach? Because we know he was a great, is a great play caller. Yeah. Well, I, I think Norv was a guy that said, you know what? I know what my strengths are. Even as a head coach, I'm going to stick to my strengths. And what is that? I'm going to work with the offense. And, 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 and essentially what he did was he had – during his time in San Diego, Norv had a, a what amounts to a defensive head coach, right? You know, somebody on the defense that can be the voice and really that the defensive coordinator most of the time, you know, uh, was the guy. And I think for the most part at that time, I want to say it was Ron Rivera maybe um, or even Wade Phillips, one of those guys. And maybe they both shared. Um, Wade was there for a little while and then obviously um, – you know, I think uh, uh, Ron Rivera came in. But anyway, right. so um, we knew that early on, though. I, I knew Norv already, as I mentioned before, from my, my rookie year. So I knew that he wasn't going to be a guy, you know, to really um, demand the attention of everybody in the room and really go and interact with those defensive guys and coach them up and coach the special teams. He wasn't going to be like Marty. So you had to accept that part. But we did embrace his offensive philosophy, you know, the way that we knew he was brilliant in that way. But I did feel like there were certain things that, um, you know, the leaders of the team had to take care of, meaning, you know, in certain situations, you know, like when, when, when things might go awry and guys may act out, where Marty would take a hold of them, Norv wasn't going to do that. So the leaders needed to do that. You know, and that was just the way it, it kind of worked. You had so many great leaders on that team early on. At what point in your career were you comfortable having conversations with guys in terms of saying, look, dude, like, we don't do it that way. You, ha yeah. you have to do it this way. Get in line. Yeah, yeah I guess it uh, uh, probably when Junior left, you know, because I spent those first couple of years um, – you know, with Junior and, and Rodney Harrison as well, and kind of learning because they were the leaders. You know, they, they, the tempo of practice was led through them. The voice in the locker room was led through them. You know, even on game days, their voice reverberated throughout the locker room and before we went on the field. And so I took those first couple of years just kind of learning from them and when to say things, when not to say things, how to challenge guys, all those type of things. And I think right around my third year, maybe fourth year is when I started to kind of feel a little bit more comfortable pushing guys and, you know, trying to motivate guys. And because quite honestly, I had to, Dan, at that point, I became the guy that everybody looked to, you know, like you need to say something. And I, I remember, you know, my running back coach, Clarence Shellman, we used to talk, I mean, like, you know, a bunch. We used to talk about a lot of different things. And the one thing that he would always tell me is, hey, you're going to have to start to be more vocal because I didn't believe, I didn't think I needed to be. You know, I just, I was always a guy that, hey, look how I do it. I'm going to show you, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to show you the way I work, the example that you should follow. And so um, I finally became comfortable more to be more vocal and, and really um, put myself out there. And I, I think it was the best thing for my career. Honestly, did you ever have to rein Philip Rivers in when he was quarterback <laughs> and tell him to be less vocal? Uh, no, you know I didn't want to. I, I, you know, I wanted that. I loved that from Philip, and even Drew. I mean, Drew was, you know, Drew was great in that way. Now you never saw it in the way that you see it with Philip, but 
you know, when we were working out and then practice and whatnot, like Drew would, would kind of give it back to, you know, the defense or get on guys and whatnot. But Phillip, that was natural for him. Like he's, you know, that's the way he's always been. I, I saw somewhere where you kind of wondered out loud what it would have been like if you could have played with Drew your whole career. And you were very clear that you were, it was in no way derogatory about Philip, but you and Drew yeah. came in together and it would have been nice to finish together. What do you, is that something you look back on? Well, well, I think, uh, you know, so when Drew and I first got there, we had a pack, you know, and, and the pack was, Hey, we're going to be here together and we're going to bring a championship to San Diego. And that pack was made, when we first got off the plane, you know, the first day we got to San Diego. And and I so much, Dan, I wanted to, I wanted to have, make that pack true. I wanted it to be true. I knew that we had what it take, uh, what it what it took as as you know, two two guys that were gonna be leaders of the football team, especially offensively, the quarterback and the running back. And so it was just, you know, it was disappointing also because I started to see the growth in him. And keep in mind, our relationship uh, went beyond the football field too. You know, we worked out together. Our wives hung out together. You know, we did a lot of stuff off the field with each other as well. And so when your friend and somebody you made a pack with, all of a sudden, you know, they're going to let them go. And, you know, it's tough. Right. And so, you know, you just wonder – Especially, I, I think that that first year without him was, which was Phillips' first year starting, the fourteen and two year. I just wonder because we were so conservative that year because we had to be. It was Phillips' first year starting that I wonder if Drew was, you know, under center, how how much better at that that year we would have been, you know, not to slight Philip in, in any way. He wasn't, you know, obviously at the point where he is now, his first year. But you just wonder things like that. Like, what sure. would it have been? Well, you see, you saw what happened to Drew, and you get to the end of your, your career in San Diego, and you, you just knew it was time, right? You just you knew you weren't going to be there. And I'm just wondering, that, that last year, you know, you, you only had – 730 yards I believe and played in 14 games and you knew the end was near at what point did you know that for sure you wouldn't be back in your mind um the year before honestly I knew the year before so the year before was the year I got hurt at the end of the year um and so there was a comment by the GM at the time about me um, taking a pay cut. And he, he, he made it public, like he said this publicly. Instead of contacting my agent or coming to me to talk about it behind closed doors. And so I said something back publicly, publicly and we started kind of going back and forth. Like I remember, yeah. In the media, remember? And at, at that time, I knew, you know, my, I talked to my agent and I said, hey, I said, just, just let me go now. I said, just let me go on and get out of here, you know? And, of course, we couldn't work that out. And I ended up staying one more year. So I knew after that happened that this was going to be, you know, this, this was going to be the final year in San Diego. There was no going back from what happened. And, you know, that's what ended up happening. <laughs> I, I remember we've talked about this before, you know, how you ended up in New York and – you guys were expecting a baby, right? And didn't didn't they give you a big gift basket? Yeah. And that, honest to God, it was the gift basket that almost put it over the top, wasn't it? Oh, it did put it over the top, you know, because it comes down to, you know, mama's going to make the last decision. You know, she has to sign <laughs> off on that thing. And so um, I remember I went to Minnesota first. And this was, you know, Adrian Peterson, it was his heyday. He was like going into his third or fourth year. Um, at that time, I think they had Chester Taylor and he wasn't going to re-sign with them. And so they were thinking, man, we bring LT back, have him play third down. You know, Adrian's going to play first and second down. And 
it sounded great. I mean, it, it was, you know, they, they sold me. I really enjoyed my visit there. And then I was scheduled to go to New York next, right? Right. And I remember going into the, the Vikings building the, that final day. And Mr. Spielman, you know, he's the GM. Of course, he's still the GM. But he right. was the GM even at that time. And he said, well, let's get this deal done. You know, I got your agent on the way. And uh, we ready to get it done. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, I can't, I can't sign a deal right now. He said, oh, sure you can. Like, why? why he was go, putting why, the, Rick Spielman so, was putting the hard press on you. He was putting the press on me. He was like, why go to New York? You don't need to go to New York. Let's just get this deal done right now. And I said, you know, look, I, I cannot make a decision without talking to the, the wife first. Like, she has to be in on this decision. I said, I'm going to need a few days. I don't, I don't make rational decisions just, you know, right away. And so, sure enough, I was able to get out of the building and get on the plane and go to New York. And so I get to New York, and, of course, they have it laid out. I walk into my – and this is – you know where they put me up at, Dan? They put me up at Trump Bedminster, you know, like at, at the golf resort. Oh, out there, okay. Yeah, in, in, in Bedminster, New Jersey. Yep. I think that's the uh, yep. So I think it, that's was, it. It, it was it was it was Trump's golf course, and and when you go there to play, if you spend the weekend, they got these little cottages for you, like these little nice little homes that's right there on the property, and that's where they put me up at. And so I walk into this place that I'm staying for the weekend, and it's a nice, you know, like baby basket. The whole nine. So, of course, I get on the phone with my wife, and I'm taking pictures. And <laughs> she said, oh, that's it. We, we got to go to New York. We got to go to New York. That's unbelievable. Yeah. The basket full of, of baby gear, and it was all like baby jet stuff, right? Yeah, baby jet stuff, of course. Did yeah. um, I, saw something, I saw something recently about how Mark Sanchez was so giddy when he found out that you were coming there, I think this was like the recruiting visit where they had like your locker hang their Jersey and helmet and everything in the locker. And he saw it before he had even heard that you were coming. It was like a kid in a candy store and, and was, was so excited. Did, did he go out to a recruiting dinner with you guys? Yes, yes he did. Mark was a part of, of the recruiting dinner. In fact, Mark stayed, at, at Trump's place in Bedminster. Like, he, he had a place there. You know, he was still, I think, in his second year. Yeah, he was, he was going he was into his second year. So he, he just kind of lived like a bachelor, right? And so he stayed, he stayed out there. And we kind of, you know, hung out for a couple of days while I was out there. But, yes, he was a big part of the recruiting trip um, that I took there. And I really enjoyed my time with Mark Sanchez. He was fun to be around. You know, I got to know him well. Um, it was fun. Well, listen, you had you had two fun years there. You make it to the championship game. You have almost a thousand yards uh, with the Jets. I'll, I'll leave the Jets here. Uh, you said Marty Schottenheimer. You'd never learn more from a head coach. He was your favorite head coach. Just in a couple of sentences, give me your description of Rex Ryan as a head coach. Fun. I mean. It, it, and, you know, I think at that time in my career, going into my 10th year, I needed someone fun and loose. And, and, and you know, Rex was the perfect guy, man. We, you know, he would, he would just do things off the whim sometimes. You know, that was Rex. But he always kept it light. And the veteran guys loved him because he knew how to treat them. He knew how to treat his guys. You know who that reminds me of? Tom Brady. Right? I mean, he goes, yeah. he plays for Bruce Arians. He just, he just wants something fun, something different. I mean, it's, a, it's the identical story, LT. It is. And, you know, when you've been somewhere for a long time, as Tom Brady has, um, and it's been that kind of military-minded, military um, you know, kind of formula and the way they do things in New England, you do. You, I mean, it, it wears on any player. And so you can see Tom right now. Whenever we see the highlights of him in practice, what is he doing? He's smiling. He's having fun. He's interacting with, you know, Bruce and all the coaches because he, he really, I believe, he's probably going to have the best time of his career over these next 
two years, three years, however long he plays in Tampa. Yeah, 43 years old, and he's still spinning it pretty well. So you you wrap up your career. Um, you come back. At that time, you still have a place in, in San Diego after you're done? No, no. So once I left San Diego, I was gone. You were gone, yeah, gone. I, I, yeah, I was gone, gone. So I, I put my house on the market. And because I knew I was going back to Texas, I right. mean, that, you know, it was my home, man. Um, so I put my house on the market in Texas, I mean, in, in San Diego, and I had already started looking for a place in Texas. So when I went to New Jersey, I was already searching for land back in Texas. I just rented a place um, in Baskin Ridge, New Jersey uh, for a couple of years. And once I got done with the Jets, I just transitioned and went right back right back to Texas. Did you know, did you know right away when you were done that you were going to do TV work? No, no, I did not. I, you know, I, I seriously didn't know what I was going to do. Honestly, I, I didn't want to do anything to be honest with you. I just wanted to just kind of hang out for a little while, just do nothing, you know, and decompress from playing 11 years. No, let me back up. Not playing 11 years, playing over 20 years of my life. Right. When you think whole about life. every year, right. Pop Warner, junior high, you know, that's a lot of football, but the opportunity, you know, came about that my, you know, my agent called me one day. He said, man, he said, what are you going to do? I said, nothing. I'm not going to do anything. He said, no, you can't, you can't just not do anything. I said, man, why don't you just go do some TV just to keep yourself occupied? And I said, TV, man, I always said I wouldn't be one of those guys. <laughs> you know, he was like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, I just feel like sometimes when you get on TV, you as a player, you act like you didn't play. You know, you act like, you, you know, you never made a mistake or you was the best thing ever. And so I just didn't feel like I fit in being one of those guys. Well, needless to say, well, what has it been? I'm like eight, nine, almost 10 years later, yeah. I'm, I'm still um, doing TV. Well, what was, it, well, what was the hardest adjustment? Um, you know, it was, it was getting over, uh, getting out of my mind that I had to criticize guys a little bit and, you know, call them out a little bit. And the fact that, Dan, I, I knew nothing about TV. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, nothing about TV and, uh, you know, that's frightening in itself to put yourself out there to get on national TV and not know anything about it, not how to, not how to break down, you know, film or, you know, talk to different points and, you know, get yourself to another point. Like all those things that you learn, you know, as you're doing TV, um, it, it was it was a bit, you know, at, at the time I was thinking like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, because at the same time, you have to put the commitment in if you want to be good at it. You have to study it and you have to know your stuff at the same time. You were you worked a lot, right? I mean, you you yeah. you were actually dedicated to this. There are some guys that I've seen that come in and, you know, they know enough that they can kind of get by. But you had to make some adjustments, some real adjustments, and, and improve everything. Your your cadence, your speaking pattern. You worked with a speech coach, right? There, you did a lot of that. Absolutely, um, and I just believed in just educating myself and working on something that I wanted to be good at. Just like I took. The same approach when I said I wanted to play football. Any, anything else, quite frankly, I want to do. Um, you got to put the time in, right? You got to work on it. And what I did back then was I started to find guys that I really liked, like Sterling Sharp at that time. You know, I, I worked with Sterling for a year, and I just started saying, Sterling, man, show me how to do this. Like, show me how to do an XO you know, all these kind of things. And he would teach me. What I realized then was all of these guys, Dion, Michael, you know, even yourself, if you just ask, they're willing to, to tell you or teach right. you how to do certain things. And so it's, it's us, a lot of times we get in our own way because, and I think men are like this most of the time, you know, we don't want to like resign the fact that we got to, Ask somebody else. Ask you know, for gotta, help. We don't, we don't know it. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I just, 
I said, I'm not going to be prideful about this. I'm going to learn how to do it. And so, yes, I put in a lot, a lot of work to get better. Do you remember, do you remember, this is one of my favorite LT stories of all time. Do you remember you're sitting in the green room with Arthur, the speech coach, the door shut. It's just the two of you in there, right? We had a couple of you was gonna bring this up. I'm bringing it up. This is, this is the best. You're sitting in there with Arthur and I hear somebody in there, but I can't quite, there's like this kind of guttural noise that's going on. I open the door, Arthur's sitting on one end of the couch, you're sitting on the other and you have two fingers in your mouth. And you said, Arthur, I prefer two fingers instead of one. And I said, okay, I'm going to leave you guys alone. I'm out of here, dude. It was a speech exercise where you had your fingers on your tongue and you practice yeah. enunciating words. And he would do that with everybody. So yeah. it was not unique to you. It was just <laughs> unique to see at that time a future Hall of Famer with half of his hand in his mouth talking to the speech coach. It was hilarious. It's the commitment, man. You know, and that's, you know, that's things that, as you mentioned, I had to do in order to get better. And, you know, I wanted to stick around for a little while and doing this job. So I made it. You know, when you think about all those things, it's worth it, man. You know, to go through that and um, to get better in that way is definitely worth it. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that, was a, that was a funny moment. Um, your title, you also work for the Chargers is special assistant. What on earth does a special assistant do uh, for the Chargers? Well, mainly working with our corporate sponsors. Um, okay. And so when you think about, I'm on the business operations side. So a lot of times what I do on game day, it's called the game day experience. Um, a lot of our top sponsors that are in the suites, obviously, I go around and I just kind of check on them and interact with them, maybe take some pictures, maybe sign a couple of things for them, make sure that they're happy, right? And then even some of our, our most top sponsors, um, I go to dinner with them, usually on Monday nights. Right. We'll have a, a dinner night with LT and we'll go to a nice steakhouse and just converse for about two hours. Everything from the state of the team to college and anything else that comes up at, at the dinner table. And then of course, I gotta be involved in the community. Um, and so a lot of the community outreach programs that we do, I'm obviously involved in that and show up to those and make an appearance and talk to the media. So just trying to be more visible uh, for an organization that most people know me, at, know me from. Do you have any idea what this year will entail for you in terms of your duties with the Chargers? Because it's going to be yeah, different. Yeah, it's going to be different. I'm, I'm thinking... I'm going to be doing a lot of this, you know, what we're doing right, <laughs> right now. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I'm hoping then as, as we get closer to the end of the year, you know, um, maybe I can make a game or two. You know, I'm, I'm really hoping that I can go see that new stadium because uh, yeah. I haven't seen it finished yet. It's spectacular, man. I just flew over it again today, came back from Vegas doing some UFC stuff. And um, it's just, it's such a bummer. You know, even in Vegas, I'm staying right next to the Raiders new stadium. And not only are they going to have no fans for the NFL, uh, UNLV was supposed to play there as well. So they had all these, you know, Vegas, which has never had a pro football team before, is going to have to go through the whole first season without any fans in the stands there. It's, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a weird year for everybody. We're, all, we're almost hit an hour, LT. I, I do want to let you go, but I want to do a quick two-minute drill, throw a couple more questions out to you if that's okay. Let's do it. Yep. All right. Best running back in the NFL right now, according to LaDainian Tomlinson. Oh, man, it's I, – see, I can't pick between Christian and, and Saquon. You know, I think Zeke is close behind, but because those guys are so dynamic in, in the all-purpose game, catching the ball and, and rushing it, I, I think they're neck and neck. I would give a slight edge to Christian because he's done it more. You know, he's been a little bit more consistent. Saquon got hurt last year. Right. But when he – you know, when Saquon flashes, man, there is nobody like that dude. No, he is electric when you watch him. But you're right, uh, McCaffrey's been a little more durable. How, how about a, a running back who reminds you of you? I'm afraid you're going to say the same guy. Yeah, I mean, i got to say Saquon, just, he's bigger, you know. Yeah. You know, Saquon's bigger. Um, but, man, it just – you know what it is? It's the lateral movement. You know, being able to, to jump cut you know, to two, ho two holes outside of where you started. Like, that's tough for people to tackle when you think about it. And then the burst 
the burst through the hole, special. It's as, as Marcus Allen told me one time, an artist in cleats. <laughs> he, when he gets going, man, you're right. Those big, huge tree trunks, the legs, and to be able to cut on a dime like he does, it's awesome to see. How about a, the best athlete you've played with? Uh, Antonio Gates. Uh, you know, just to see some of the things that he did on the football field, but even more special. I mean, we played basketball together a number of times, and some of the things that Antonio in his heyday did on the basketball court at my house was incredible. Really? I mean, I, I, I was thinking to myself, man, this dude, why ain't it? You should play in the NBA. Seriously. College basketball player at Kent State, I, I believe, right? Yes. Yep. So, yeah, man. And knocked off a, you know, I think he, they made it to the Elite Eight. They did. The senior season. Yeah, knocked off some big-time programs. How about the a famous non-athlete friend that you keep in contact with regularly? Oh, man. You got me there. Let me see. Um, probably somebody like, uh, you know, Alex Thomas, the actor, comedian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so Alex, you know, uh, keep in contact with him on the regular. Um, yeah, he's probably – Man, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> That's a tough I'm, one. I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably missing somebody. They're probably going to call me like, man, why are you insane? I'm me? sure you're missing somebody. <laughs> and, and I always do this to people, and I hate when they do it to me because I can never pick favorites of anything, right? Yeah. Like, what's your yeah. favorite food? I don't know, pepperoni pizza? You know, I'm, just, <laughs> yeah. I'm terrible yeah. at that. All right, last thing. The last thing that you Googled. Um, me and my golf. So, so me and my golf is uh, – uh, it's actually an online virtual teaching. Um, it's, it's two guys, and they're basically like your instructor of how to make you better in golf, you know. And so uh, the last thing this morning, I was watching some, some videos, some instructional putting, because that's been the struggle for me lately is putting. You know, I have a birdie putt, nice birdie putt, Dan, and I, I miss it, you yeah. know, or, or a five-foot par putt and I miss it, and that's, that's the bogey, you know, and it just, it drives me crazy. Yeah, me too, man. I'm right there with you. What's your handicap these days? Uh, it's about a 12. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's getting better. Oh, man. LT, this has been fun. I appreciate the time, brother, and uh, stay, stay sane at home with the kids in online school, because I know there are going to be days when you're going to want to pull your hair out, at least if you're like me sometimes. Yeah, I probably already have pulled pull some of it out, but <laughs> I, I appreciate it, Danny. Great to talk to you, Bubba.